Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the January 23 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, this year, the LGBTQ Task Force, one of the nation's oldest civil rights organizations, is celebrating its 50th anniversary. The National LGBTQ Task Force advances full freedom, justice, and equality for LGBTQ people, and they envision a future where everyone can be free to be themselves in every aspect of their lives. One of the annual events the task force is best known for is the Creating Change Conference. This is a huge gathering of activists, organizational leaders from every corner of the LGBTQ movement. And this year, the conference is taking place right here in San Francisco. Our guest tonight is Pastor Nicole Garcia. She's a transgender woman who leads the LGBTQ task force's faith work. She has a fascinating personal story and a lot to share about this year's Creating Change Conference. So stay with us. Pastor Garcia is coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. This is Greg Morale with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of January 22nd, 2023. The office of Florida Governor DeSantis has confirmed that the anti-LGBTQ plus governor is supportive of extending the stipulations to the state's current Don't Say Gay law. This is formerly known as the Parental Rights and Education Act. Right now, the law bans discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity up to third grade. A staffer for the Senate President Kathleen Posadoma's office told the Daily Mail that lawmakers are thinking about introducing legislation to expand the law up to the sixth grade. In a press conference in December, Posadoma explained, saying that she didn't think she'd be supportive of high school because kids in high school, hopefully, are a little more mature. DeSantis's press secretary, Brian Griffin, said that, quote, the governor would certainly consider the merits of such a bill in final form if it comes to his desk as a product of the forthcoming legislative session, end quote. Griffin said DeSantis often expresses his belief that the purpose of our education system is to educate kids, not, quote, indoctrinate them. In addition to banning classroom instruction on LGBTQ plus issues up to the third grade, the law as it is currently written also requires in vague terms that the discussion on the topic in older grades be developmentally appropriate. Instead of defining those terms, the bill allows parents to sue schools if they believe the law was violated. DeSantis' support for increasing the age range for the Don't Say Gay law is not a surprise, as he's made it clear he is virulently opposed to protecting LGBTQ plus students. In December, it was revealed that DeSantis helped members of the anti-LGBTQ plus group Moms for Liberty get elected to local school boards in his state. An educational anti-censorship expert says this development is part of DeSantis' plan to shift the state's schools towards a conservative ideology. With Moms for Liberty and Control, curriculum will exclude LGBTQ plus inclusive and anti-racist education. And in a response to a flood of anti-trans legislation and anti-LGBTQ plus hatred in the U.S., a transgender woman has founded a new organization called Transport. The organization is helping trans people flee the United States. Ryan Wilgos, a 50-year-old transgender woman, began researching ways to leave the country after two events took place, the first one in March of 2021, where a man nearly strangled her death in a public restroom while she was traveling across the state for work. She hasn't felt safe in public since. And then in June 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the right to legal abortion. Wilgos is concerned about Justice Clarence Thomas's concurring opinion that suggested the court could possibly overturn its past decisions, including 
the Obergefell decision, which legalized same-sex marriage. When associates of hers began asking about the likelihood of LGBTQ plus rights being rolled back, Wilgo started researching the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees guidelines on refugee status based on sexual and gender orientation. She has since begun researching LGBTQ plus organizations in Europe to better understand options for queer relocation. It's a bit disturbing to think that the United States may be less safe for transgender people than other parts of the world. According to The Hill reports, in 2022, Republicans nationwide introduced over 170 anti-transgender bills and over 300 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures. In 2023, nine states have already planned to introduce legislation to block transgender youth from seeking gender-affirming care. If that legislation becomes law, gender-affirming health care for young people will be inaccessible in nearly one-fifth of the states. At the top of that, right-wing conservatives have increasingly demonized LGBTQ plus people, allies, and drag performers for, quote, grooming children for sexual abuse. In 2021, there were 1,132 hate crimes based on sexual orientation and 266 based on gender identity, this according to the FBI. The latter number represented a 40% increase since 2019. And in sharp contrast to the last two stories here in California, legislation was introduced last week by gay assembly member Chris Ward that aims to protect the privacy of transgender youth in California. The new bill would do so by requiring the courts to seal any petition for a change of gender or sex identifier filed by a minor. Ward announced on January 10th that he had filed Assembly Bill 223, which had been titled the Transgender Youth Privacy Act. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Our guest tonight is Nicole Garcia. She's the Faith Work Director for the National LGBTQ Task Force. She identifies as a queer, transgender Latina. Nicole earned her Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology from Colorado University at Denver and is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Colorado. Nicole earned a Master of Divinity from Lutheran Seminary and is an ordained minister in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Nicole is a former member and faculty emeritus of the Trans Seminarian Leadership Cohort. She's dedicated to preaching queer liberation theology and is passionate about doing the work of moving social justice from concept to reality. Pastor Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a, a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, it's, I'm excited to be talking about uh, this upcoming Creating Change conference. Uh, I'm getting to go for the very first time. Uh, we've covered it here on Outbeat Radio oh, for a couple of years, uh, but I've never actually gotten a chance to go in person. Uh, I've known people who've gone, uh, and it has a, a great following. And my understanding is that this conference has been going on annually since 1988. Is that right? Yes, so I believe it's over 35 years, and the task force itself is over 50 years old. That's right. Um, I actually joined the task force as a member of the staff in April of 2022, but I've been involved with the task force in creating change uh, for many, many years. Wow. So before we get to all of that, uh, you know, you have a fascinating history. Give us a little bit about your background and what brought you into, I'll call it our movement. Well, if you want to use my whole entitle, entire title, I can be addressed as the Reverend Nicole Garcia, M-A-L-P-C, for I'm an ordained minister of Word and Sacrament in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I'm also a uh, licensed professional counselor in the state of Colorado. I um, 
was born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, assigned male at birth, and did my best to live into that assignment for 42 years. I actually undertook a, um, a career in law enforcement. So I worked in law enforcement for 16 years to really try and prove to myself and to the world that I was a man. Well, that failed miserably. Um, I even got married to an incredible, beautiful, intelligent woman, and my marriage lasted for eight years until I just realized my um, ex-wife couldn't fix me. Hmm. So I got divorced and then got into therapy and realized that I had been pretending to be a man for over 42 years. So I started my gender transition. Now, stepping back a moment, I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. I was a very, very good Catholic boy. You know, as most good Roman Catholic boys, I considered going into the priesthood when I was 18, but mama and grandma said no. So I went to college instead. Um, but when I realized I had a transition, um, I discovered the Lutheran Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and a church in downtown Denver that was um, St. Paul Lutheran that was open, welcoming, and um, we call it reconciling in Christ in the Lutheran world, open and welcoming to the to the gay, LGBTQ plus community. In fact, our pastor uh, is gay. And um, what I loved about it was the first time I went up to ask Pastor Kevin a question, he pulled out a piece of paper and said, okay, read these scriptures and come back and talk about it. Well, raised Catholic, I was sort of amazed and, and just responded, well, you're supposed to tell me what I think. But he said, no, we're Lutherans. We have to read it, discuss it, and talk about it. And then I fell in love with Lutheran theology. So I ended up becoming very involved with the Lutheran church. And at, at that time, in 2001, um, the ELCA introduced something called a human sexuality statement to start talking about what does sexuality mean within the church. And the part that is brought out of it, of course, is gay and lesbian relationships. And whether or not, it turned out by 2009, um, I really became involved by 2005. I, by 2008, I sat on the board of a group called Lutherans Concern North America. And I attended the 2009 Churchwide Assembly where we debated the churchwide, uh, the um, human sexuality statement, and it was adopted. And all of a sudden, gay and lesbian individuals in same gender committed relationships could be called and ordained as pastors. Hmm. And um, I just became even more involved. And there, there was a point where I decided, you know what, I wanted to learn a little bit more about theology. And before I knew it, I was enrolled in a hybrid course at Luther Seminary. So I would go to school online um, during the semesters, online before it was chic, mm -hmm. and then go, go to residential classes on, on campus. And so I did that for four years and earned my Master in Divinity. And in November of 2019, I was ordained a pastor in the ELCA, and I worked as a mission developer for about 18 months, and then um, it just didn't feel like it was the right fit, and it all worked out because I ended up with my sisters caring for my mother as she lived her last days, and then she passed in December of last year, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I get a phone call from Barbara Satin, who was the faith work director at the task force. Now, I've known Barbara for over a decade because I was a member of the Trans-Seminarian Leadership Cohort. So 10 years ago, 
the National LGBTQ Task Force, the Freedom Center of Charlotte, and the Pacific School of Religion through the Center for LGBTQ Studies and, and, and Gender came together and wanted to support transgender and non-binary people who are undertaking religious education mm -hmm. to, become, to become leaders within the church, either Christian churches or we've had many people go through who are in rabbinical schools. So anybody who's undertaking religious um, training. So in 2014, I was a member of the Trans Seminary Leadership Cohort and attended Creating Change and attended a couple other functions in Berkeley at the Pacific School of Religion and went on retreat in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. In 2018, after I earned my MDiv, I was a member of the faculty. Nice. And, um, you know, I've been attending Creating Change for many, many years. And in many ways, um, the task force of Barbara Satt, my predecessor, um, Rebecca Vocal, who was the first um, faith work director of the Institute for Reconciling, uh, for Institute for Welcoming Resources, which is under the umbrella of um, the task force. I really have been trained and nurtured and mentored by faith leaders who uh, were part of the task force. So it is just amazing that now um, being raised by the task force, so to speak, through their faith program, I have been called to be the faith work director. And what's even more amazing is that my bishop pushed and advocated so that the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the, the large church body through their church council issued a call to ministry. So my job as faith work director for the task force is recognized by the ELCA as a call to ministry. It's just incredible. What a distance we've come. Uh, yes. You know, before we started the interview, we were talking a little bit about how religion has been, and I'm going to call it a weapon used against LGBT people for a long time. And mm -hmm. faith traditions are evolving for sure, but there's still, I think that's really the biggest obstacle in our whole civil rights effort, right? It's, it's got some mm -hmm. basis in, in a faith tradition. Um, so I think yeah. the work that you're, you're doing is just critical. And, and, you know, I, and I can tell you from personal experience. So I'm actually sitting in my niece's house in Colorado Springs. Um, so this weekend, as we were saying before, I'm Aunt Nikki to um, my great nieces and nephews, and I've been running around the house. But what's amazing about Colorado Springs, or I should say amazing, so we all know about Club Q. Right. That happened right around, right on November 20th, um, the Trans Day of Remembrance. That Monday following the shooting, I came down and stayed with my niece and was able to go to to the memorial sites, took took part in the um, vigils that, that took place. I know several of the pastors who are providing pastoral care um, at Club Q. And, you know, I've, I've been asked and been talking so much about has the LGBTQ plus community really been targeted? And I can definitely definitely say yes, but Club Q is the very tip of the iceberg. If we remember back, how did the whole quote-unquote gay liberation movement start? It was because the police were hassling primarily the drag performers, the, the transgender women, right. um, in uh, outside of Stonewall. Um, 
this is just, you know, Stonewall was basically an uprising where the trans women came together and said, enough, mm-hmm. we're done, and spent three days, what they call a riot, but I call it protesting our rights. And we're still continuing that. And um, Colorado Springs is a lovely town, but there are some very conservative Christian elements in this town. And there's a lot of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric that floats around this town. So it was really important for me to be here as a transgender Latina ordained um, to wear my clerical collar and the stole that I have with the trans colors to be there at the memorial to show that, yes, there are aspects of the church that do condemn the LGBTQ plus community but i'm here to say that god loves us all the way we were created to be that my presence here was necessary because people have to know they are loved beyond measure by um, that who created them mm-hmm. um, who, however you identify or want to see um, yourself in the universe or as a child of god or as um, someone who is spiritual Wow. Uh, so many things I want to come back to and talk about, uh, but I want to first acknowledge, I didn't know that about your past that you were a law enforcement officer. I spent my whole career in mm-hmm. law enforcement. Oh, you did? I did. And mm-hmm. I didn't come out as a gay man until I was 41. I was also a Catholic, raised, altar boy. Oh, my. And so, our, you know, it's always interesting to me to see how many parallels and, and similar tracks when I talk to folks. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I was very spared. I never heard any rhetoric from the pulpit that told me that I was going to hell or that I was a bad person. You know, the society mm-hmm. took care of doing that a lot, but I never heard that. And, and it really isn't, it hasn't been until more recently that I've read about and seen examples in the Catholic Church of how anti-LGBT it is, you know, as, a, as mm-hmm. an entity. Not to say that every leader in the Catholic Church is that way, but it has huge impact on folks. I'm curious going really back. To, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious going back to Club Q. So you, it, it had to be scary, you know, when you heard the story, and then it had. I, I have to imagine it was frightening to go there, as mm-hmm. much as you felt a sense of wanting to go there to help. How were how were you received? What were what were people's reactions when a, a minister shows up with trans a trans colored stole? It was. It was very interesting. I, th- I think showing up there on Monday, um, the day after the shooting, people were still in shock. And we were literally on the side of a road. Club Q sets back off the road, um, probably about 100 yards behind another building. But everything was taped off because it was a crime scene. Right. So we couldn't actually go in front of Club Q. So on North Academy Boulevard, which is a very busy six-lane road, um, in Colorado Springs, the police had blocked off the right uh, lane, and you know, a hundred of us were gathered there, and there were just flowers and candles and crosses, and people just in shock. And some people would come up to me and just give me a little dirty, dirty look, and other people would come up and just want to talk. Mm-hmm. They just needed to talk and work through the shock the fear, the pain, the anguish, um, the anger. And honestly, you know, standing there on the side of the road, I would look every once in a while and said, if somebody wanted to come and run us over, they, it would be easy. And honestly, I thought of that many, many times standing there on the road, especially 
that night. And my dear, um, my dear niece, who was a, who was, I can say she's a, a straight, you know, married woman, um, went with me to the vigil and held a candle and stood next to me. Because uh, she said it was so important for her to support me. But part of me was like, no, I don't want you to go. It could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. But she was really compelled to be with me. And that's not just being an ally. That's an advocate. Mm-hmm. She really advocates and and really supports me in the work that I do. So it was just wonderful to have there, have her standing with me as, you know, we held candles in the bitter cold. Um, at least a couple hundred of us on the side of the road, um, just wondering why, how could this happen, and how can we keep this from happening again? You know, it strikes me that, you know, when Matt Shepard was killed back in 1998 in the town of Laramie, there was a lot of denial, you know, about what Mm -hmm. Laramie was all about, what motivated that tragedy to happen. But, you know, it changed it changed the town. There were many, many people whose perspectives were changed. What, what's your sense so far with Colorado Springs in that conservative element? Did you see a lot of allies there? Is your sense that that this has caused people to rethink maybe some of their views? I hope it's causing people to rethink their views. What really, I, I should say, I saw people there who had I won't name anybody, but monograms from conservative church groups there Mm -hmm. trying to provide pastoral care. And I have to say, personally, I was just, I was so mad and angry. Um, And they were wandering around talking to people and hugging people. I'm like, are they going to try and get people to go into conversion therapy or what? I don't know. Um, Part of me really hopes that that Colorado Springs is looking in a mirror. You know, I I listen to a lot of the representatives and public officials in Colorado Springs expressing um, their support of the LGBTQ plus community after the shooting. And I hope that is staying with them. And sometimes I have to I have to wonder, I, you know, I create very distinct boundaries for myself. Um, when I'm in Colorado Springs, I attend Grace Lutheran Church because it's open and welcoming and the pastor is a really good friend. Or I go to Pikes Peak MCC, the Metropolitan mm-hmm. uh, Community Church where the pastor there is a good friend. Um, I just can't bring myself to venture into the focus on the family um, building. I just don't. I, I just don't know what will happen there. What they might say if I went in wearing a clerical collar and said I'm a transgender Latina. Um, I don't know how I would be received. Um, but I really, truly hope that Colorado Springs, that the people here are taking a close look in the mirror about what they are really preaching and what they're believing in, and how much the vile rhetoric against the LGBTQ plus community contributed to the murder of these five people. Sure. Lots to think about. Well, mm-hmm. the, the mission of the LGBTQ task force really has its roots, as you mentioned, going way back, you know, to yes. Stonewall and everything that led up to Stonewall. Uh, you know, for, in your perspective, from your experience so far, it's, it's clearly one of the larger or largest civil rights groups supporting LGBT people. How mm-hmm. does the mission and the work relate to the others that, I don't know, maybe are more well-known in some circles, Human Rights Campaign, for example, National mm-hmm. Center for Lesbian Rights? How does how do they fit together? 
Well, in many ways, we work together. Um, I think it's really important to build communities and build coalitions because I don't believe one group can undertake the tremendous amount of work that that is needed to really liberate the LGBTQ plus community and just liberate and expose the systemic racism that exists in our society. And um, we really have to work harder to solve this, the, the homeless, you know, the people who are un, unhoused, the people who don't eat. And so, you know, at the task force, we have a fairly specific agenda. We work towards the liberation of the LGBTQ plus community, but we're also very much looking at our own concept of, of um, racism and systemic racism. And I'm happy to say that the task force has a very, very diverse staff. Um, and so we really, really try and make sure that a lot of voices are being represented. And, you know, it was last week in, a, uh, in an all-staff meeting, one of the first directors came and spoke to us, mm. um, the first executive directors. And uh, I wish I could, Kathy, I wish someone else was here who knew her better. But, um, you know, back when the AIDS crisis was starting, even before they started calling AIDS, um, the gay and lesbian community didn't know how to come together and fight. And it was really um, in, the, in the 80s when the gay community was dying. Men were just dying all over. And, we, we, and so what the community had to come together and find our voice, find out that we do have political power if we band together and we work together. So, so many of the agencies and groups um, learned how to start organizing in the 80s around the AIDS crisis. And so, you know, I've been with the task force now for just going on 10 months and I'm loving it. Even I've been associated with them for so much. And in these 10 months, um, I have worked on the Respect for Marriage Act. So much of marriage is tied into the faith community sure. and religion uh, really sticks their nose into this whole marriage debate. So it was really important for me as a pastor to go to Washington in November. Um, and I went with um, members of Keshet, which is a Jewish organization, plus Tiffany Tran, who was our senior legislative manager. We went in and had meetings with the staff of senators to talk about what this bill means, why it's so, why we really do have to respect marriage in all facets. It's not necessarily, oh, you know, it's a marriage between man and woman. Marriage comes with a lot of rights, mm -hmm. comes with a lot of legal benefits. Um, one of the worst things that, that can happen is if your spouse goes into the hospital and you can't make decisions for them because that state doesn't recognize that marriage. Right. That they're going to bring somebody in who, who really doesn't know the person or denies that the individual is LGBTQ plus and make decisions that would be contrary to, to what the individual wanted. A spouse has a right to make a decision uh, for their partner. And right. that's what it really came down to. So I've worked on the Respect for Marriage Act. We've worked on the Equality Act. Um, I do a lot of work. Well, I'm under the policy envelope. So... Um, I, I really work with people um, who look at how laws are implemented. Our federal legislative council looks at how laws are implemented and how we can respond to that. Um, Trin, uh, our, our senior um, 
legislative council um, manager looks at what legislation is going in right now. And right now we're really looking at what will this next Congress uh, look like? Yeah. Well, and we just... what are the laws that are going to be? And, you know, we just spend time, they, they spend time analyzing everything that's happening. Well, and that's of paramount importance right now. I, I just uh, talked about on our news segment this week, uh, the alarming number of bills so far already that have been introduced into state legislatures mm -hmm. that are very specifically anti-LGBTQ, many of them targeting trans folks. Mm -hmm. uh, Florida's, you know, considering expanding their don't say gay law to go all the way up to the sixth grade. It yes. just seems there just seems to be a momentum now that's quite dangerous and out of very control so. and out of control. So, and it's really putting lives at risk. Sure it is. Um, you know, especially, um, you know, young trans people um, that are, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. How can I put this? How many 14 years old people or 14 are, are logical and can think through arguments? They tend to be a little bit more emotional, right? right? Right, So when they're hearing things on the TV or reading in the news or in social media that all of a sudden they're being attacked, that they are wrong, they are broken, um, what does it do to those kids? And I'm sorry to say so many of them can't take the pressure and they take their own lives. Of course. It is just devastating, just devastating. So a lot of the work that we need to do um, is try and help protect those kids. I'm, I'm happy to say that the task force has been doing a lot of work in Florida. We haven't turned our back on Florida. Our field team was down there. Um, actually, I was down in Tampa for a week where, um, trying to, um, working with several different pastors and ministers and rabbis about um, how do we speak out and create safe spaces for our kids down in Tampa, St. Petersburg, Lakeland? Um, and then the field team was down uh, working in, in uh, Miami um, around the elections. We're not going to give up on Florida. We're going to be down there because we have to protect the kids. Yeah, you have to divide your, your uh, resources between Texas and Florida. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Texas is another hotbed of of anti-LGBT legislation. How how big is the task force? I mean, I, I think about the HRC and that enormous building in Washington, D.C., but how large of a staff, just in terms of the organization, roughly is the task force? I hope I get the number right, but I believe there are 28 of us. Well, that's um, not many to do this work. Not a lot, but, you know, we have an incredible executive director, Kiera, Johnson is just always busy. Yeah. She's, uh, she was just at a conference last week. Um, Maida uh, Ilago um, is our uh, deputy director. She's from Florida and has done a lot of work for the immigration community. I'm, um, we have a group that is just dedicated to creating change. Um, we're hoping that or expecting 3,000 people to show up to San Francisco uh, Hilton in February. No kidding. So let's. How do you make sure you get room through 3,000 people? How do, how do you make sure you get workshop space for 3,000 people? It's, it's a big endeavor. And, you know, our development team has been doing a great job. We have so many corporate sponsors who are supporting us and helping us move our work forward. Um, we have a creating change team who's just going through detail by detail by detail to make sure that the people who show up have a really, really good positive experience. And we're really hoping that 
Um, well, we know coming together in person in February is going to be so important. You know, the pandemic has done, has devastated our communities yeah. and devastated the way we've been able to come together. You know, I love conferences and I have spoken at so many conferences online over the last uh, couple, three years, but I'm really looking forward to being back in person. Okay, so let's talk about the conference. It's happening starting February 17th in San Francisco at Union Square. Yes. Uh, it's been all over the country, though. What are some of the other big cities mm -hmm. that the, that the uh, Creating Change conference has taken place at? Well, I'm proud to say it was in Denver a few years ago. It was in Dallas last year. Next year, um, last year we were supposed to be in um, New Orleans, but because of the pandemic, we had to go virtual. Next year we'll be in New Orleans. It's been in Detroit, Chicago. Um, I believe it's been in New York. It's been all over the country. Um, so, so this is a great so, opportunity locally for our listeners uh, who maybe have mm -hmm. never been uh, local activists, anybody who wants to really learn. Who are the types of people that typically attend? Golly, we have people who are executive directors of, of smaller LGBTQ organizations who show up so that they can network. We have people who are who are busy, who have been done, who've done canvassing for us or work for smaller LGBTQ plus uh, organizations that come in and learn more techniques, learn more details. How do you do lobbying? How do you do door to door? How do you put together a campaign? Um, I work exclusively in the faith field. So I'm bringing together faith leaders under a group called, we call our small, smaller conference within the larger conference, Practice Spirit Do Justice. So I have rabbis, uh, imams, um, ministers, pastors um, from every Christian denomination, from a lot of Jewish denominations, um, a young man who is, heads the um, Queer Young Muslim group, and also um, my main organizer for the interface service is a, a pagan priest. Mm. Brilliant guy. We get along so well. <laughs> but, you know, we're going to have uh, talks on Wiccan and queer witch witchcraft, uh, status of um, liberation and, and liberation theology in Christian movement, uh, what the Jewish um, denominations are doing, Jewish traditions are doing. So we try and bring a, a huge cross-section and offer workshop caucuses networking so people can come in and learn or, or teach what they've learned and learn what they can from other people doing the same type of work across the country. So on Friday, as I understand the agenda, those are like all-day institutes. Yes. And then is that where your, uh, inter your conference within a conference is going to take place? Well, actually, Friday is the Racial Justice Institute. So we're going to have several gatherings because we're really going to have deep conversations around race. And there'll be different institutes because there will some people that are uh, geared more towards white Northern Europeans, those who are people of color. So we really want to bring people together to come and talk about uh, racism and how it really impacts and, and has changed our society and how we can be an impetus to change for the better. So I know and that on there's... Saturday we have different day-long institutes. So uh, I'm going to come back to that for a second. The one that caught okay. my eye on Friday was one for educators in higher ed. Um, mm -hmm. I teach an LGBT studies program. Uh, we have a degree program in Napa, and so I'm really looking forward to that. 
can I expect to meet teachers then from all over uh, the U.S.? I really hope so. We really try and bring people from all around the country in to speak, and people come in from all around the country to attend. Yeah, 3,000, so, I would imagine. It's not going to just be folks from the Bay Area. You're going to get a chance no. to meet people from all over the, all over the U.S. No. And you mentioned on Saturday then and Sunday there are smaller workshops. Uh, well, Saturday are the what we call the day-long institute. So I run the Faith Institute, but there'll be there's a Latinx Institute, a Black Institute. Um, I, I believe there's a, a dozen different institutes. So if you go into the registration form, you can see all the different institutes that we're putting together. If you want, um, one of my teammates, um, Clareman, is working on a policy institute. So if you want to learn more about how federal laws are. Um, enacted by the bureaucracy, go into the Federal Policy Institute. They'll tell you how those, all these different uh, different uh, government uh, government bureaus, or what do they call them, bureau, um, departments, mm -hmm. actually implement the laws. They have a lot of control over creating these rules. So how does that happen? How do you want to get involved? Um, I believe Tiffany is going to help um, give uh, lobbying techniques um, I learned a lot from Tiffany going in and talking to, to Senate staff. And in the Faith Institute, um, we're going to be uh, premiering a, a re-edited and redone uh, film called Wonderfully Made. And so the um, director, Yuval David, and executive producer, Mark McDermott, and Kathy Renna, who is a, a staff member here at the task force, they're going to run a, um, a panel and talk about the movie and really what the movie uh, is about is how the church, and particularly that the, the um, Catholic Church has done so much damage and caused religious trauma amongst the LGBTQ plus community. And the way that it is addressed in the movie is express your feelings in art. So along with the movie, we're going to have an art display of what people created during the movie to really address the re religious trauma that they've encountered. I'm working on, if everything works out, uh, this isn't final yet, but I should be uh, installed as a pastor at the task force on Saturday morning. Mm. My bishop is going to fly in and do the official official blessing by the church for me to take this position. And we're creating an interfaith installment service. So it should wow. be really interesting. Wow. So um, talk more about that. I mean, what's, what's that going to look like? Well, I don't know, because I'm the first one to really do this. Um, I'm really, really excited. So I'm ordained in Evangelical Lutheran Church in America as a pastor, a minister of word and sacrament. Got to have our churchy words around everything. And so what does it mean for me to be a pastor at the task force? And I really believe it's opening the church to this idea of, of doing interfaith work, interfaith organizing because so many of the people that I work with are Christian, but also I work with a lot of people who are Jewish, who are Muslim, who are spiritual, but not religious. And so how do I undertake this job? And I'm really happy to say that the ELCA is walking with me through this because we really want to be able to reach out to more people. And um, I consider myself a Franciscan. And so, um, which means that, yes, I'm to proclaim the gospel every day, 
but if necessary, use words. So it's how do I live my life and live out serving the neighbor, live out um, being a, a beacon of hope and love for, for other people. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, frankly, I just don't know why everybody isn't Lutheran because I think Lutheran theology is, is fab fabulous. But guess what? Everyone isn't me. Mm -hmm. People have different experiences, different different ways of looking at life. And I really want to create a space where people can come together and be in community. And it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad or the big oak tree out there. If that gives you hope, if it gives you courage, if it gives you uh, strength and stamina to fight for your rights to fight for what is right for all people so that in the end all people have a, a roof over their head that all people have food uh, three times a day that all people have access to clean water and education um, that's the ultimate goal that we should all have as as a society mm -hmm. yeah uh, absolutely so Sunday uh, and Monday, mm -hmm. what what does that look like at the conference? Well, Sunday we're going to have a larger interface service, okay. but we start our workshops on Sunday. So if I remember correctly, we have over 144 different workshops wow. that you can attend over two days. Um, and sometimes I think that's great, but golly, there, there are usually three, four or five workshops running at the same time. And the challenge is finding the one that you want to see over another. And I know people who will workshop jump. Well, they'll spend a half an hour in one workshop and then move to the other because we have so many incredible offerings. So um, I know that the schedule is still being finalized uh, for, mm -hmm. for this year. But, you know, as you think in the past, give us some examples of some of the workshop topics that might appeal to first timers. Yeah, there's, um, if you have any interest in, you know, civil action, um, there are workshops on how to do lobbying. We have media workshops. So you might tell, I've, I've, I think I'm fairly literate and clear and kind of have an idea. Why does that happen? Because I've taken workshops um, at Creating Change on how to interact with media, how to talk, how to create talking points. You know, be before we came together last week, you sent me, um, a list of questions, right? Mm -hmm. I reviewed them. I looked at them. I thought about them so that when we have our conversation today, um, I think I'm fairly articulate. Yeah, you're um, definitely prepared. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not using all the great one-liner jokes that I'd like, but, you know, because I'm really funny. But I got that because of creating change, because I attended media workshops with Kathy Renna and Ross Murray from GLAAD. Um, people from major organizations will be coming in to give workshops on how to um, how to create your own nonprofit, how to work with uh, create community, how to how to work on the ground, how to bring people together. Um, you, you name it, anything that you can think of in community organizing, there'll be a workshop. Wow! As part of uh, as part of uh, practice spirit do justice, the faith track. Um, we're going to have workshops on confronting religious trauma. We're going to have workshops on how to create community within community. Um, we have we uh, I oversee a program under my portfolio called Building an Inclusive Church. How does you take your How do you take your church who says, "Well, 
we want to be open and welcoming to the LGBTQ plus community, but how do we do it? We can give you the tools to do that. We can show you how to bring together a core group of people, how to have conversations, how to do one-on-one -on -one talking with other people, how to make sure that um, the pastor's voice is heard, um, but the people's voice is also hear heard. And what does it mean to have uh, a welcoming statement that says that you um, want to include, op be open, welcoming, and affirming the LGBTQ plus community? And people often ask, well, if we start there, shouldn't we be welcoming other people? I'm like, well, yes. How do you welcome the unhoused? How do you welcome those who um, are uh, don't have the ability to walk the stairs into your church? Why does it matter that you have a ramp? Why does it matter that you have an elevator? We give you a place to talk about these issues and bring them out. And hopefully you will be able to go home feeling equipped and have these conversations in your congregations, in your synagogues, in your community groups, um, in your political groups. We want to give you the tools so that you feel that you are equipped to make change in this world. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. And, and there's going to be some celebrity speakers that I would imagine would be doing sort of keynote addresses. Yes. Yes. Um, I haven't been, you know, I know, um, I believe X Gonzalez is going to be there, who was uh, a victim of a shooting. And I think it's so important for their voice to be heard. Um, we're, uh, also, I believe it's Angelica Ross. Yes. I hope I got her. <laughs> the name's right. Um my cheat sheet got left someplace. Um, but Angelica, you know, it's just amazing to see a trans person of color in on TV. Right, from and Pose. Not, and not be a murder victim or mm -hmm. a murderer. You know, that's how so many of the times we've been characterized in media through the ages is that if you're trans, that somehow you're mentally unstable. It's not true. And it's so wonderful to have this individual who is so powerful, has a wonderful voice, an incredible talent to be there. And personally, I really hope I get to shake her hand yeah. and say hello. Yeah, that'll be... I have a little, I have a little bit of a, you know, I'm starstruck. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, so as you look at the, the weekend, uh, it's President's Day weekend, so it'll be a nice time mm -hmm. to be in the city. You don't have to rush back to work on Mondays. Mm -hmm. on that Monday. Uh, you know, what's the thing you're looking forward to the most? I mean, it sounds like you've got some personal uh, exciting events happening with being uh, ordained and, and so forth, but, mm -hmm. you know, what for you is really, are you really excited about? Honestly, coming together in community. It's been a long, long couple years of this pandemic, and um, we've been isolated socially yes i've i've attended a lot of conferences i've spoken to a lot of conferences online and um i think we should have both and i really hope that all of our plenary sessions are broadcast or put online so that more people can access them but i'm looking forward to you know after a workshop talking to the workshop presenter and getting to know them a little bit um networking sitting in the hotel lobby and just getting to know someone new Mm -hmm. Going to lunch and getting to know another person. Um, creating change just gives us the ability to meet other people, create community, and network. And, and people, of, really, and people really... of all ages, right? I mean, there are oh, yeah. youth, youth uh, 
event or youth workshops, youth-oriented workshops there, but then you mentioned there'll be folks, uh, senior leaders at different organizations coming in uh, representing all different mm -hmm. generations. Uh, I think it's going to be yeah. exciting. And, you know, 3,000 people is a lot. It's That's much larger than I anticipated the conference mm -hmm. being. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to it. So, um, And I think is, we have a lot to offer. Is it still possible for people to sign up and attend? Yes. Um, just go to the taskforce.org, and there's a flyer that usually two things across the top, the banners. One of them is a Creating Change banner. You click on that, and you'll get access to all the information. You can register online. Um, you can find out the hotel information online. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a couple. There's a couple of hotels, and if you're living here in the North Bay and don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, commute, that's a great option to stay down there in the city. But there is public transportation available to get you from the North Bay to the city. Yes, uh, it's not something that you have to be there the entire time for either, right? I mean, if you're commuting in, right, you could take a look at the schedule of workshops, and you know, you're not expected to check in at eight in the morning and check out at five in the afternoon. You can kind of come no. and go as as you need to. Uh, no. Um, we, we do ask, though, that I believe you can buy day-long day -long passes. So if you just want to go one or two days, you can do that. But we're really being adamant about making sure that you're registered and you have a, um, a name badge. Because right. we're going to be very security conscious. I just really have to underscore that. We know the, day, the times we're living in. So, um, you know, we have, we've been really, really looking. We have a private firm that we've brought in uh, to make sure that uh, the people that come to Creating Change are going to be safe. We're going to do everything we possibly can. So we'd really like you to register and get a name badge so that we know that um, you, are, you really want to be there and not just wandering in off the street. Well, right. And there is a cost for producing this conference, something of this magnitude. Mm -hmm. And so I know that, that the task force has some flexibility in terms of offering participation to those who can't afford the full tuition. Oh, yes. But we definitely have scholarships available. Yeah. But but there is money to be uh, earned here to pay for this, right? It's it's not mm -hmm. something that's, that's done entirely for free. So contributing is important yes. uh, there for yes. sure. Yes. And you know, uh, our development team does a great job. Nobody will be excluded because of, uh, for financial reasons. If you want to attend and you cannot afford to, we can get you a scholarship. But we also ask if you have the financial means, please pay for registration because um, your payment helps make sure that um, people can attend and that we can continue to, to um, have creating change into the future. And we're really, really, well, there's always that, you know, that, I hate to be stereotypical, but I will, that, you know, fortune cookie saying that says, may you live in interesting times. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Right now, we are really living in a place where the LGBTQ plus community is under attack. Um, we have a very uh, conservative Supreme Court. Uh, we were able to pass the Respect for Marriage Law uh, Act, and we did that because a member of the Supreme Court said that they should look at all of the laws and it put marriage on the um, crosshair, so to speak. We, we took care of that, but we don't know what's going to happen with a Republican um, Congress and uh, uh, a, a slim majority in the Senate. So much could happen. We yeah, need right. to have our voices heard. We need to be out there and talking about um, our civil rights and protecting them. And it's not just marching in the streets, it's organizing um, 
we have to be thinking about the local elections as well. Yeah, I we think have to think about state legislatures as well. I think we feel so safe sometimes in California in this bubble that we're in. We're we're mm-hmm. creating things really in opposition to what's happening in the rest of the country in terms of providing a safe place for transgender people and trans families to come to, for example. Uh, but we can't ignore the rest of the country. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that I think it's important for people to remember is that you know our significant civil rights gains in the last ten years have really come from the Supreme Court. For example, the Bostock Mm -hmm. decision protecting employment. But we've already seen how the court has been willing to overturn these landmark decisions. So uh, marriage is protected. Okay, that's important in terms of the Respect for Marriage Act. But employment is hanging on by a thread, really by a vote Mm -hmm. in the Supreme Court. And that decision could be overturned. And I've said for a long time, I think that employment protection and employment rights apply to so many more people than marriage does. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, to say that marriage isn't important, but people need to work and they need to have their employment protected. And so that Bostock decision yes. to me is one of the most significant that we need to protect. And the Equality Definitely. Act, which is still hung up in the federal legislature, is one of those that we've got to get through because that'll mm-hmm. sort of seal the deal. Uh, based on your experience so far in the movement and working with the task force, what's your project, projection about that? Is Does that even have, pardon the pun, a prayer? I don't know. Honestly, you know, we, the task force spent a lot of time and effort working on the Equality Act last year. And it just kept getting hung up. And I, I'm not very positive that it could get through a... Republican-controlled House right now. Yeah, I agree um, with you. But does that mean we walk away from it? Right now, no. no. No, we have to keep we have to keep uh, advocating for it. And you know, the 2024 election is going to be so crucial, and we need to be thinking and planning for the 2024, not just the presidency, but we have to be looking at uh, the Senate and the House and local legislatures. Yeah. Um, so many local um, state legislatures are just taking away rights left and right from the LGBTQ plus community. They're taking away rights from um, the trans community, uh, prohibiting people from accessing gender affirming care, not just under 18, but I've also seen bills that are being proposed that um, would restrict people under 26 from affirming, from receiving gender affirming care. That I as a therapist who have worked with gender, um, with transgender non-binary people for the last decade, I could go to jail in some of these states for talking to somebody under 18 um, because I'm just a, a gender affirming therapist. And that's just wrong. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just wrong. So we really need to be working just not at the federal level, but the state level, the city level, um, we have to keep our eyes open and really now is the time we need to be planning for 2024. Well, and one of the ways to do that is to attend this upcoming Creating Change Conference in San Francisco. It happens February yes. 17th through the 21st. You can get more information and register at thetaskforce.org. And if you missed that link, we'll put it on our website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page. And you can get signed up and register, and you can come and meet some of the fabulous people that will be there, including our guest tonight, Pastor Nicole Garcia. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Most of all, thank you for all the work that you're doing. It's so important. 
well, Greg, is in my, my field, I'm called to do this work, and it is um, something I do out of love. And thank you so much for, for your time. And um, We'll look forward to meeting you, you. Yeah, we'll meet you in a couple of weeks. All right. Take care. And once again, there's still space. You can get a ticket for this year's Creating Change Conference by going to thetaskforce.org. And that wraps up our hour. Tune in next Sunday night for an Outbeat Extra with Gary Carnavelli. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia. Our shows are available for on-demand play anytime on our website at OutBeatNews.com and on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now on iHeartRadio. Find links to subscribe at OutBeatNews.com. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. Radio on KRCBFM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air chilled, non GMO, locally raised right here in Sonoma County with no antibiotics ever. More information is available at rockyandrosie.com. You're listening to 104.9 KRCBFM Roanoke Park and KRCGFM Windsor, Sonoma County's NPR station. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Beale Street Caravan is next. 